Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, November 22nd. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in How It Works, page 67, and this morning we will begin with the paragraph that starts referring to our list again. The reference number for yesterday which was Wednesday, November 21st, is 3368. That's 3368. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I would now like to ask Irini to please read the 12 steps of OA for us. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening, as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I wish all of you a happy and blessed and abstinent Thanksgiving Day. I pass. Thank you, Irini. I'd now like to ask Margaret H. to please read the 12 traditions of OA for us. 
Thank you so much. Good morning, a vision for you, and happy Thanksgiving. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for the privilege to read these on this Thanksgiving Day. I pass. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you very much. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the Big Book, and we are in the chapter, How It Works, page 67, in the middle of that page, the paragraph that begins with a sentence referring to our list again. And I would like to ask Penny C. to please get us started this morning. Good morning, everyone. This is Penny C. from Massachusetts. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. 
When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. Good morning, everybody. Boy, um, this 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 paragraph um, is is one that my sponsor and I spent quite a bit of time on, especially those those words in that sentence. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? For every resentment that I wrote down, I looked at each one of those. You know, what did I want for myself? Where did I not tell the 100% honest truth? Where, where, what did I do to get what I wanted? And, and what, what kind of fear did I have around this? And I saw with every single one, and, and, and I've said this before, but I, I'm not one who got right through the steps in even a year or two years. It took years before I completed the steps for various reasons. And I look now and say that must be how God wanted me to do it. Not that everyone else has to do it that way, but I had over 270 resentments. And every single one of those resentments, every single one, I saw that I had an involvement, that at some point I was the one that got the ball rolling, that I was looking for something for myself and was disregarding the needs and wants of other people, including including my own family, my own children at some times. So um, someone said, uh, I think it was yesterday, that the binding in her book was, was broken right there. Mine is broken right in the same place, and, and I was really interested in that, that these pages, these, these next few pages especially, uh, were, were the ones that we spent so, so much time on and, um, and, 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 and appropriately. So with that, I pass, and happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Please press star it's, one to unmute. It's Esther. It's Monica. Kim, go ahead, Esther, and then Monica, and then Kim. Good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. I just wanted to address the sentence here, where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened, and specifically the word dishonest. Now, certainly that means where have I told untruths to others, but one thing that I learned was also what what are the lies I've been telling myself? What are the lies that I tell myself that keep me in this resentment? Remember remember a few uh, chapters ago uh, I learned that in order to experience the psychic change, will, which will eventually enable me to lift the obsession you know, surrounding the food, I need to um, examine my ideas, attitudes, and emotions, which are the guiding forces of my life, discard them, and replace them with new, one, new ones. And for me, this um, issue of dishonesty, specifically being dishonest with myself, the lies I tell myself, these attitudes... Um, this is where I had the most eye-opening experience when I realized that I'm still living in the mind of a, a five-year-old. I had uh, ways of thinking um, about life that kept me in resentment. So, for example, um, I used to think that the purpose of life was to have fun, and once life was unfun, then I became angry. So many of my resentments had to do with life not being my way. Um, I also used to think that if I did everything right, then everything would work out the way I want. And, and that's another selfish, self-centered, immature way of, of viewing the world. 
I used to I used to another lie I would tell myself was that I need constant validation and approval of others or else I, I won't be able to be happy. And today I understand that that's not that's not um that's a self-centered way of approaching life, not a God-centered way of approaching life. And on and on and on, I examined all my resentments and seeing how I was dishonest to myself and all these resentments and all the lies I would tell myself and suddenly I said, it doesn't have to be this way. I can now look at the world in a different way, have new attitudes and ideas, and no longer remain, you know, in a resentful state. So, for example, instead of believing that, you know, life was all about having fun, today the God-centered idea um, is that life is about service and doing for others. Um, today I understand that that I can't control, you, you know, pretty much anything in my world except for, you know, the way I live, so that makes life much easier for me and keeps me out of resentment. I'm no longer resenting everybody around me who's not, you know, keeping up with my program. So for me, this particular exercise, specifically the dishonesty, was where I suddenly realized that if only I would approach life differently and think, um, replace my selfish attitudes with God-centered attitudes, then um, I live. I could live a life that was freer. Um, less angry, and once I didn't have those resentments and constantly feeling, you know, on edge, I no longer had to turn to the food to sort of calm me down to, you know, bring me that ease and comfort in life because I wasn't angry. I was serene. I was happy. I was satisfied. I wasn't, uh, um, you know, looking to see why, you know, life wasn't working my way. And so for me, again, this this particular exercise, you know, what's known as column four was very, was the place where I had that transformation, where I realized that, you know what, all my problems start in my mind, and look what I've done to myself. It's time to get rid of all those ways of thinking that aren't working for me and replace them with new ways of thinking, God-centered ways of thinking. And, and that's what I experienced, you know, from there I um, felt, you know, this new uh, spirit of uh, serenity enter in me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Monica? Good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I am so excited about this paragraph. That This is what the, you know, where the rubber meets the road, and this is where we put that pen to paper here. We're going to do some serious writing, and this writing changed my life. And we've been reading about how resentments kill us, kill us. We hold on to resentments and they are going to kill us. Well, now, these 100 recovered people are telling us in this particular paragraph here, they are giving us instructions on how to get, how to get rid of these resentments, how to look at it from a different angle, how I'm going to turn around this resentment that I have at someone that I've held on to for 40, 50 years, and I'm going to look at it from an entirely different view. A, a different angle. So they're saying referring to our list. And what do we have to do? We have to put out of our minds the wrong that this person did. So I'm going back to my list, to the first person on my list, and I'm going to look at it and, and, and think, you know, first I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that angry man prayer, and I'm going to ask God to help me to change my point of view with every single one. Pray, pray, pray. And realizing it says that they're perhaps sick too, that they're sick and I'm sick. And the first thing I was asked to realize was the resentments I had against this person. Had I ever done this behavior to them or anybody else? You know, and that was an eye-opener. 
because almost everything I had down as resentments, I did myself. And my, you know, that started my thinking, changing my thinking. Wow. So then it goes on. I had to look at my own mistake. Where had we been selfish? Now, this is not a yes or no question here. This takes some writing here. Where had I been selfish? Okay, so what does that mean? It means, what did Monica want in this situation? Or what didn't I want in this situation? You know, many times it was, I wanted my way. I wanted people to think like me, to have my values. And that was a big joke on me, have my values. And I was doing the same thing. My selfish attitudes. What were my selfish attitudes here in this situation? And then dishonest. What was my faulty thinking in this situation? What was I thinking? What was I telling myself? What was I pretending? What was I believing? You know, believing that, um, that my way was the only right way, that that person was a bad person, that their opinion didn't count. This is dishonesty. This is how I was dishonest. You know, it wasn't me, it was you. You were bad, you were wrong. And then what does it mean by self-seeking? Self-seeking. What did I do? What were my actions? How did I retaliate because I didn't like what you did to me? Did I criticize you? Judge you? Now, remember now, all of this stuff can be just in your head, but that's still um, actions. Even if you didn't say anything, if you were thinking all this stuff in your head, you were doing something here. Criticizing, judging, withdrawing my affection, you know? Yelling some, at somebody, lying about somebody, bad-mouthing somebody. These are things I did. Those were my actions. And then it says, frightened. What was I frightened of? So what was or am I frightened of in this particular situation? Am I frightened of not being loved? Of not being good enough? Of looking stupid? This was pretty easy. I knew this, you know, that came up pretty easy. What was I frightened of? And then I was asked to look at one more thing. Who had I harmed with this resentment? And even if it was all in my head, I had the answer. I hurt that other person. I hurt myself. And I hurt whoever else had to listen to my drama. But this is where the personality change started happening. You see this stuff. You're writing this stuff out over and over again. And you start thinking and realizing, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be happy. I don't want to be restless, irritable, and discontented. And this is how you're going to get that. And with God's help, praying each time before you do any of these, you will start seeing the transformation happening when you are doing your four-step inventory here. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Kim. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And on this Thanksgiving morning, I give thanks for each one of you. And oh, this reading, the inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. What clear-cut instructions? 
you know, and I was someone that I would get periods of abstinence and then I would pick up and then periods of abstinence and I would pick up. And I'd say, well, I did these steps and they don't work. Or was I following these clear-cut instructions? No. The inventory was ours, not the other man's. No, my inventory was a way to justify why I was entitled to eat. My inventory was a a, uh, a victim's role, a description of why I had no choice but to eat. You know, the inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw, saw our faults, we listed them. No, when I saw their faults, I explained them to you. When I saw their faults, I screamed them from the rooftops about how wrong the rest of the world was. And if I got to the point where I saw my fault and I listed them, I didn't list them. I justified them. I rationalized them. I made sure you understood why I was the victim or the martyr. So these clear-cut instructions was the inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. Listed is a short, concise writing. It's not a, a, a collegiate dissertation on why we were the way we were. And we placed them before us in black and white. I got rid of that little hamster trail in my mind that would go over and over and over resentments, and I put them down on paper. You know, and this is the crux of what the serenity prayer is telling me. You know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, which is what others did or done, the courage to change the things I can, which is what I have done, and the wisdom, the wisdom to know the difference. And I looked up wisdom. It says knowledge of what is true or right, coupled with just judgment as to action, discernment, or insight. So the action word is in there. So how do we get this wisdom to know the difference? We get this wisdom by doing this inventory by taking these clear-cut instructions and writing them and not putting our own twist on it, not going to other literature, whether it's with an OA, AA, or outside sources, and figuring out a quote-unquote better way to do it. I spent a lot of time revamping the, the, these steps and finding I kept picking up over and over. So the clear-cut instructions say the inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them and we placed them before us in black and white. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I am once again paying attention to what it says. It says, referring to our list again. Now, this is the second time that they brought us, brought us back to this list. You know, we turned back to the list where it held the key to the future. You know, we turned back to the list. We've made this list, our grudge list, our resentment list, all the, all the people that made me angry, all the institutions that made me angry, all the ways that, yes, I too justified my actions. That's starting to get put aside. You know, they, they keep instructing me to come back to that list. Look at it again a little closer, Janice. Look at it again a little deeper this time. You know, where was I at fault? What was my part in all of this? Where was my thinking twisted? And I did this with the help of a recovered sponsor. You know, and 
I looked at my action sometimes and I couldn't quite see where I had been selfish. You know, I didn't I want the best for you, but also didn't I try to make that happen? You know, wanting my way, whether it was for me or for someone else, was still selfish because I was still directing that show. I was still trying to make it all come about. And I would say to myself, well, my intentions were good. My intentions were good. But people were looking at my actions. They were looking at my actions and responding to my actions. So where was I involved in a setup? I kept setting it up for other people to respond in a particular way, and I couldn't see that until I started putting it down on paper. The inventory was mine. Follow these clear-cut directions. And to do it as honestly as I could, because I'm doing it with God's help, I've turned my life and my will over to the care of God. You know, God direct my thinking. Help me to see this differently. And the big book is doing a great job, these recovered people, of putting down what had been their experience. Where had their twisted thinking gotten them into trouble doing this step? You know, where had I been self-seeking? Where I had been looking for approval, constantly looking for approval. And if I couldn't get that approval, I tried to make it happen. I tried to make it happen. So there was a lot to look at. So I'm glad they said refer to the list again, Janet. Refer to the list again. Because each time I looked back at this list, the insights got deeper. The way of looking at this got clearer. You know, more clarity. God revealed to me, revealed to me more and more as I looked at this list so that I could be ever more free. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning, This is Christy. Good morning, Leah, and then Christy. (laughs) Thank you, Janice. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. You know, it was the first time um, that, uh, you know, through the direction of these steps that I was able to take responsibility and have a level of awareness that I had never had before. Um, You know, my analogy is like those old-fashioned pinball machines where you pull back the spring and that metal ball you know, is catapulted across the machinery and it's ding, 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 you know, against the bumpers and the lights are flashing just in a reactive state, you know, constantly reacting to its surroundings and the environment. And that's exactly what I was like, Um, you know, constantly reacting to people, constantly reacting to situations, constantly reacting to the circumstances in my life. The big book is teaching me here where were we to blame that all action is born in thought? Oh, I didn't realize that. I really did not realize that. You know, I thought uh, feelings just emanated from nowhere. And, you know, actions, I had no control over those. The big book taught me, take a look at your thinking, Leah. Let's take a look through this step four at your thinking. Because if your thinking is maligned, if your thinking is in disharmony, if your thinking is twisted, then of course your actions are also going to be twisted. Because all action is born in thought. So it really allowed for the first time me to stop 
pointing the finger at everyone and everything going on in my life and saying, okay, what are my core belief systems going on here? You know, where am I selfish? Where am I dishonest? Where am I self-seeking? Where am I frightened? That all comes from that. You know, the big book simplifies it so much as you go through this process because you'll see these four different aspects of self have hurt me my whole life and have blocked God's grace. You know, and when it says here, where were we to blame, um, that puts the emphasis on my thinking. You know, what about me? When it says also here, putting out of your, our mind the wrong others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Okay, so it's saying perhaps, you know, there, there has been some harm done, Miss Leah, but the fact of the matter is, are you using that resentment for some selfish reason? That incident occurred two decades ago. You know, are you dishonest and frightened that you're afraid to face life without that resentment? Are you afraid to face life without that resentment? Because one of the greatest things that I was doing prior to recovery was utilizing that incident or those interactions or that character on my stage to rationalize and justify not doing what I should do, not behaving the way I should behave, and continuing to do things I shouldn't do, like dig my fist into a cellophane bag every day, many times a day, because I couldn't help it. It's all their fault. That was my mentality. The program of recovery, this first action step, began to turn that thinking around. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Leah. Christy. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, a vision for you, and happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And, you know, God willing, for me, it will be an abstinent one. Um, When I came into OA in 1994, uh, you know, I weighed 340 pounds, and I didn't understand anything about the steps, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought my biggest problem was food, and at 340 pounds, that wasn't hard to buy. Um, And, you know, I spent a lot of time you know, spinning around in the steps and what they mean and what, what, how I should work them and what I should do. And I had a sponsor that, you know, we'd go out for burgers and fries on Friday night and try to figure out what abstinence was. And, you know, she was a longtime AA-er. I mean, it was just, I just was, it was so muddled for me. It was just very muddled for me. And, you know, keeping in mind that the first thing that, you know, recovery says is that we put down our substance. You know, we put down our substance, we put down our drug of choice, in my case, food, and we get to work. And we get to work on the greater aspect of our disease, which is our minds. You know, it says right here, what's my, what are my problems? I'm selfish, I'm dishonest, I'm self-seeking, I'm afraid. You know, self-seeking, you know, I've got a definition for that, the act or practice of selfishly advancing one's own desires and goals. You know, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't fully understand, and you know, until 2001 when I put the food down, that, that those were my problems. You know, my problems weren't that I didn't know how to eat what, right, you know, I knew how to eat. I knew what nutritious food was. I knew what, you know, I knew that I needed to, you know, eat a 
an amount of, of food that was fuel for my body. Um, I needed to be at a maintenance weight. I mean, that's, you know, all over the place that, you know, you know, eat a certain amount to maintain a healthy body weight. That's what you eat. And for me, I needed to identify trigger foods. I needed to identify that, you know, certain foods triggered an obsession and a craving that was beyond my control. And at, in 2001, I was beaten into a state of reasonableness. I was beaten into a state where I said, help me, help me, help me get over this. Help me, you know, help me. I'm drowning. I'm drowning. And I was thrown a life ring and I was pulled into the lifeboat and I, I said, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll do anything. I'll even, fig I'll even figure out where I was self-seeking. I'll, I'll even do that. And, um, you know, thank God, you know, I, I got a sponsor who was abstinent. I put down the food and got busy. And when I wrote out my inventory, I couldn't see every place where I was selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, afraid. I, you know, I didn't really fully even understand what that meant. And, you know, as we will read later in this chapter, you know, that's why for me it was helpful to read that, to do a fifth step, you know, Again, we'll get there. But I wrote everything out. I wrote everything out I could think of. You know, I didn't understand why good things happened to bad people, and I didn't understand why bad things happened to good people. And, of course, that was the camp I was in. Why did bad things happen to me? I was a good person. You know, I, I wrote it all out. I wrote out everything. You know, I didn't understand why banks charged fees for bounced checks that I wrote. You know, I, I, I put it all out there on paper, and I was willing to look at my part. Maybe I didn't fully understand it, but I was willing to say to my sponsor, tell me what you see. How, what do you see in my behavior? You know, I, I, was, I was desperate. I was desperate. I didn't know that doing this would give me freedom. I didn't know that the greatest gift that I would be given in recovery is the ability to see how I think to see how I behave, to see how my motives can sometimes drive that behavior, you know, and to stop, to have that pause, not only to have a pause between me and that first bite, but to have a pause between me and my behavior and my thinking and my actions. What a miracle. What a miracle. And that's where the true change has happened. You know, the miracle isn't that God willing, you know, if I do the same thing today I did yesterday, I will celebrate my 12th abstinent Thanksgiving, God willing, and every day between, and every day in between. You know, that is the true miracle that my life has been completely transformed, completely transformed. And I'm telling you, if it can happen for me, if it can happen for someone like me, it can happen for anyone. It can happen for anyone. And this is the real work. And, you know, I was just on that other side of desperate desperation and willing to do whatever it takes and i and i wish that for all of you today whatever it takes and with that i'll pass thank you christy would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on this is judy s go ahead judy thank you janice good morning vision for you happy thanksgiving this is judy f from massachusetts and I, this was so important for me, this paragraph. Um, this is, as people have um, referred, that this was the start of the transformation. What was critical for me was that I had a recovered sponsor 
help me with these questions because I I had lived in such denial about my behavior and also my thinking. I, I thought if I thought it and I didn't say it, that was okay. But it wasn't because when I thought it, it came out in my actions and I wasn't even realizing it. So that help, especially so when I mentioned that, that dishonesty, I had I needed a lot of help in seeing, getting to the root of my dishonesty and also my fear. And the other um, point I wanted to make is um, this work was so so much more effective than other inventories I had done before because it set me up to then live these steps daily. And these questions are also similar to questions in my on-the-spot inventory, the 10th step um, on page 84, where it asks, um, this is not an overnight matter. It should be continue for our lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And then in my nightly review, I also, I, not only do I watch for these during the day, but then in my nightly review, I, um, they ask these questions again to me. Um, were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? And that, because I'm not cured from this illness, but um, it is the the obsession of the mind, the the, um, the food obsession, the compulsive overeating has been removed, contingent on my spiritual condition, and that's this is part of my spiritual condition is to continue to watch for these things and ask God then to remove them when they come up. And I'm just so grateful that this paragraph gave the foundation for how to live daily in my life without resentment and to be happy, joyous, and free. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Judy. We'll move on to the next paragraph. And Esther, would you please read that for us? Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. So my name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I learned something new when I was doing um, listing my fears and and um, in the way that the Big Book teaches us, and that is how destructive fear could be. I used to think that if I was a bully, I could see where that was was um, you know setting me off and putting me in co- collision and you know and hurting others. But I didn't really understand how fear um, would also set me up to cause pain to others. If I'm fearful of things that I'm not going to get in the future, if I feel that, if I have a way of seeing my future and there are things today that are in conflict with that, so I start to either dominate others or rely too heavily on others and cause them to retaliate. And that's how I learned that being fearful and really wanting things a certain way for my future not only um, makes my life difficult that I turn around and I hurt others. Circumstances now snowball, you know, into these huge problems. And, of course, life becomes unmanageable for me. And what do I do? I turn to the food to, again, bring me that ease and comfort. Um, So further on in the following paragraphs, we're going to see exactly what we do with these fears. 
But this was a new uh, revelation for me to see how fear, fears and 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 um, you know real or imagined how you know how they also are a destructive force in my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sarah. Can I share? Go ahead, Sarah. Good morning, and a happy Thanksgiving to all of you. This is Sarah, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from New York. At set in motion, um, trains of circumstance which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. So fear, so what this is telling me is that the fear itself can create, it sets in motion circumstances that the, the, the fear, the emotion, the emotion, what I learned is that these strong, powerful emotions are, um, that emotion stands for energy in motion. Emotions are the completely spiritual component of ourselves. They're not anything that we can feel or touch. We don't experience in the physical world. They're the greater aspects of ourselves. They're the spiritual aspects of ourselves. And when utilized in this negative way, in this this fear, the fear of what's going to happen to me, what's going, the selfishness of the fear of of what fear of what I'm not, what I might lose, what I might not get, what might happen to somebody else, how it's going to affect me, all the different things that cause those fears actually can create the circumstances of my life. That's what it says here. It sets in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. Yet, but did we not ourselves set the ball rolling? And where did the fears come from? It comes from our thinking, our distorted thinking. The, the, and, and a lot of the fear came from a lack of belief, a lack of belief and a lack of a relationship with this power that's greater than myself. When I trust and I, let, and I can let go of the fear, so much I learned of my emotions and the fears and the resentments was because I was giving power or not believing in a power that was greater than myself, greater than other people. I was putting power in the wrong place. And, you know, um, and, and the, great, the great aspect of step four and this, in, you know, inventory of looking at ourselves and where, um, you know, just from this last paragraph, when we saw our faults, we can't, it was very liberating because I can't control other people. So looking at this list in this um, fourth column was was incredibly empowering because, you know, we say, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. I need to learn to accept other people. I need to learn to accept life's circumstances that may not go my way. And the... Um, the courage to change the things I can. Well, what can I change? I can change my thinking. I can change the angle at which I look at things. I can change my relationship with this, where I give the power to my life. Do I give that power to myself? Do I give that power to the other people in my world? Or am I giving that power to that greater power, greater than myself, to, the, to God, who can, who's master of all things, who, can, who I can trust? And the more 
I can set in motion, I can replace this fear with this trust and this recognition that there is a power greater than myself, that there is something beyond that fear that I can trust that is somehow, that's, that's managed the world up until now, and I don't have to be God, and I don't have to manipulate other people and life circumstances because of my own fears of what might not go my way. And, um, and we can set a new ball in motion. I can, I can, through my emotions, through my beliefs, through my perspectives, I can, I have that power to create a new set of circumstances. That power is the God's power that he gave within me to be able to choose to look at things in a different way. And this inventory is what gives us the ability to do that with clarity. Thank you so much. And with that, I pass, and I wish you all a blessed Thanksgiving day. Thank you, Sarah. Well, this is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, it says this short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. Every aspect of our lives. It was the it was a evil and corroding thread throughout the fabric of my life. No, those are pretty powerful images, pretty powerful images that fear, fear, fear was all over in my life. But I didn't see it until I did this inventory. You know, yes, I feared that something I had would be taken away from me. And I feared that something I wanted would not be given to me. I would not be able to get it. And so I lived in that place of agitation and dread and worry, 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 worry. And because I most of the time worried about other people, I thought, I thought that was okay. But what it said is we think fear ought to be classed with stealing, with stealing. Me, a thief? Stealing because of my fear? Well, what was I stealing? Most of the time, I was micromanaging the lives of the people I loved, thinking if you just did what I thought was the best thing, you'd be safe. And if you were safe, I'd be safe. And wasn't that a good thing? But instead, I was stealing your ability to live your life with freedom. You know, I was taking your freedom from you. And I couldn't see that until I did this inventory. But they were very clear that the fabric of my existence was shot through with it and that I myself set that ball rolling. Most of the time, I myself set that ball rolling. By what I said, by what I did, by that twisted thinking. And I needed that all unraveled. I needed that thread unraveled and pulled out and looked at clearly. And thank God for these clear-cut directions. You know, that they had experienced this. I didn't have to reinvent the wheel. They had experienced this. And thank God they could show me that so that I could experience it as well. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Monica. Go ahead, Katie. Monica. And then Katie. Thank you. Thank you, Janice. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive reader. I was just looking up the word fear here in our little in our little dictionary. And it says, you know, notice that the word fear 
And there, it's only a four-letter word, just a small little word, but like you were just so um, saying so well, how it's, you know, it, it's through, it goes through our lives. It's in this thread that's everywhere. Anyway, it says fear, agitation, alarm, anxiety, or dismay in the anticipation of or in the presence of danger, pain, or disaster, or negative imagination, dread, apprehension. And if you had asked me before I did this work if I was a fearful person, I would have said no. I was a strong woman. I didn't feel like I had any fears. But when I did this fear um, part of the inventory and saw that, yes, fear was everywhere in my life, it seems to be the underlying thing to everything. There was a fear underlying everything I said or did to me, to you. And um, this is going to, doing this writing again is just going to help change your life and don't fear doing this fourth step inventory it's not a matter of whether you're good or bad you know we're all bozos on the same bus and we and we're not unique it's about learning and having God show us a different way and with that I pass thank you Monica Katie hi this is Katie a compulsive overeater in Virginia and I can remember the first time that I really got that I was a fearful person. For some reason, this image of me standing at my friend's apartment door in, in Hawaii in 1984, you know, I was like, wow, fear really runs my life. But, but that wasn't enough for me to um, put that down and, and get abstinent and, you know, go on my merry way. Um, I love this. It says fear ought to be classed with stealing. And I would offer that it's because it steals my life. It steals my serenity. It steals my joy. It steals my security. It steals everything. And, you know, there's 140 some people on this line. So I'm going to um, venture to guess that someone out there has never heard the um, acronym that fear is false evidence appearing real. And, you know, that's what I have to think of all the time when I'm, in a place of, you know, where I I feel like this chapter and the chapter before are, are reminding us to not say, yes, but. Yes, but you don't understand. You don't understand my situation. And that is where the fear comes in, where I'm afraid if I put down this resentment or I put down this person or I let go of this character defect or I let go of this resentment and all these things that have gone on all these years, where will I be? What will happen? There's this fear of the future of we are so used to being in this state of misery and in this um, nurturing and feeding and um, coddling these resentments and these other character defects that we can't even imagine what it's like to move on without them. But that's why step four is after step three. We have to remember that God is with us. We're not doing this inventory on our own. We are doing it hopefully with the support of a sponsor, but also with the support of God. 
we've turned our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand him. We are not doing this and standing out there with our clothes off uh, to be mocked by the world. We're doing this under the guidance direction of a sponsor and with God's help. And he will carry you through to the other side, and you will have a life free of fear and resentment and all those things. That'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? I would. My name's John. I'm a compulsive eater. Go ahead, John. Um, my name's John. I'm a compulsive eater from Olympia, Washington. Yeah, fear for me is um, face everything and recover. I remember back in 1997, um, I'd taken a lot of weight off, and I was saying one thing and doing something else. I said I lost between 180. I lost... I'd lost between 80 and 90 pounds. Well, my weight had crept back up. So the honesty part was I had to start writing down the food again. And by doing that, um, <clears throat> I saw where I was, um, I was I was absent, but I was eating too much for my body. And so what I did is I, I wrote that down. I still do that today, um, 15 years later. And it's just a miracle um, because I heard somebody else do that. And he said that that really worked for him. And I'm just grateful I'm still willing to do that. And I always call in on my top weight was at least 281. I'm currently at 173.7. My range is 170 to 174. I do the fear inventory on that many times. And if I'm up a little bit, I call my food sponsor and make some adjustments. My first adjustment would be like, well, I'm not going to have breakfast. That doesn't work. So, um, yeah, face everything and recover. And that's a miracle that I've been doing this for 21 years. And I'm just blessed to be on this meeting today. So thanks for letting me share. That's it. I'll pass. Thank you, John. Well, we'll move on to the next. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I'm very grateful for this meeting and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. You have a blessed day. I have a, in the subject of fear, I just finished an inventory and the fifth step, but I, I realized that I still have a fear hanging on, and it's that fear of not having enough. And I experienced it yesterday at lunchtime as I was preparing my meal, and when I'm around food, when I'm, I get into a fear of not having enough. Can anybody address that for me? That's an excellent question, and maybe if you hang on after the meeting, um, that's a great question to ask after the meeting. Thank you. Thank you. We'll move on to the next paragraph. Katie, would you read that for us? Hi, I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater. Um, Okay, we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. We asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it, when it made us cocky, it was worse. And um, I'll just share on that briefly. Uh, I think that this kind of goes along with what I was saying. I don't know. Um, that I think fear has been such a, a dominant problem, and yet it's a problem that's covered up so much of the time and so we try to make up for it in other ways and um, you know so many of us 
know, people think that we're very um, efficient, um, confident, take control kind of people. But um, most of us underneath all of that are really riddled with fear. And um, so we sideskirt the issues and try to avoid um, what's really bothering us by um, being dominant in other areas. But this um, program helps us to to get through that and to not be um, where we are uh, like a bull in a china closet um, just plowing through life and, you know, just being defensive to hide our fears. Um, instead, we face them and come through to the other side and it's a much um, more peaceful existence with that will pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Katie. Uh, we'll close here today. Um, thank you to everyone who has shared. Um, it was a great meeting. We'll now close with the reading from A Vision for You in the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Penny, would you please read that for us? Yes, thank you, Janice. And um, just let me get the page right here. I'm sorry. All right. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in this fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.